When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Previously On Watchmen in association with Sky Atlantic taking you through some of the best and most complex television in the world. Hey everybody, how are you doing? It's Jamie East here with episode three of Previously on Watchmen. Before I launch into this recap, it is worth noting that if you haven't already caught up with episode three, you should do so immediately because Watchmen is exclusive to Sky Atlantic every single Monday at 9pm. If you've missed any episodes, don't panic. Head over onto Sky. You can catch up on all the episodes there, then catch up on all of the episodes of previously on. For more information, just head to sky.com. It's the series that is just getting better and better and better. Later on in this episode, I will be speaking to the wonderful journalist Kim Renfro. She's as geeky and as nerdy as I am about all things Watchmen. We first virtually met when we had a chat about Game of Thrones. She's written a fantastic unofficial guide to Game of Thrones, which is out now. I talked to her about what the reaction's been to Watchmen over on the other side of the Atlantic, given the fact that a lot of the issues we're dealing with in the show are probably a bit more relevant over there. I'll also take her through some of the fan theories about what the hell is going on and what she thinks Damon Lindelof's got in store for us. One thing's for sure, it's one hell of a journey. I'll be taking you through a scene-by-scene recap of episode three shortly, but just wanted to kind of give a quick kind of stand-up and shout-out and salute to some of my favourite parts and theories about episode three. One of my favourite moments was the standoff between Laurie and Angela. Those two together on screen is just insanely good. Laurie's blurring of the lines between vigilantes and superheroes is, I think, going to be the running theme throughout the whole series. But there was that fantastic piece of sass from Regina King, wasn't there, with the... Ooh, loved it. Absolutely flipping loved that. This was one of the first ones we've seen in which Damon Lindelof focuses on one particular character. In this episode, it's very much Laurie. And what a story it is, too. But the star of the entire episode, can we please be upstanding for the Dr. Manhattan dildo? Oh, my God the size of the thing what were the detachable balls for was that the battery i don't know i don't care i just want one i think one of the more intriguing twists is on its way i think we're going to find that senator kane isn't completely the all-round apple pie american that everybody seems to think he is and also can we just give a big round of applause to jeremy irons who continues to deliver week in week out with one of my favorite storylines he finally revealed himself as adrian Vite, even though we kind of pretty much knew uh adrian Vite, aka ozymandias i explain a bit more about him a bit later on and he donned the suit didn't quite fit him as well as it used to but it looked absolutely batshit loved it 
little shout out to the title as well. The title of this episode was called She Was Killed by Space Junk. If you notice, Laurie played the Devo CD. Space Junk is the name of one of the songs on that CD. You could also argue that she held a great big rod of Space Junk uh, in the form of Dr. Manhattan's fake penis. Killed by Space Junk. I think she probably would be, wouldn't she? But enough of that tawdry filth. Allow me to take you through Watchmen, Season 1, Episode 3. She was killed by Space Junk. We begin with a seriously long-distance clandestine call to Mars to the hopefully listening ears of Dr. Manhattan. The call, made from an impressively futuristic-looking phone booth bearing the Dr. Manhattan logo, is being made by someone called Agent Laurie Blake. She begins to tell a long-winded joke to a silent listener about a bricklayer teaching his daughter the science of bricklaying via building a barbecue. As she reels off the story of one solitary brick being left over from the build and the father preparing to demolish the newly built barbecue before his daughter stops him and throws the brick into the air, she stumbles over the punchline and asks if she can tell another one. As she talks, we witness a scene in which Laurie walks into a bank and pulls a gun on the teller, demanding the money from the drawers. With the robbery underway, a cloaked black figure leaps into the fray and takes out Laurie's armed sidekicks, a little like a Poundland Batman. As the pair face off, guns drawn on one another, Laurie reveals the whole thing was a ruse to draw the illegal vigilante superhero to them. Kind of slick. The Poundland Batman runs away, and the no-nonsense agent just guns him down. Important fact alert, Laurie Blake was formerly known as Laurie Uspechik, a.k.a. the Silk Spectre, a costume vigilante the likes of which she now hunts down. Back home, Laurie enjoys a typical night in, listening to a bit of Devo and feeding a white mouse to something unseen in a cage and welcoming a visit to her door from Senator Kane. He congratulates her on her good work capturing Revenger and today's takedown of Mr Shadow. The senator looks inside the cage and we see the mouse muncher was in fact an owl called Who. The senator then gets down to business and asks Laurie to head to Tulsa to investigate the murder of Judd Crawford. To sweeten the deal, he suggests if he makes president, he could even get her owl out of that cage, referring not to Laurie's pet, but to her former boyfriend and vigilante superhero, Night Owl. Now, it's not clear to us in this series of Watchmen exactly what's happened to Night Owl, but let me give you a bit of background on him. His real name is Dan Dryberg, and he's actually the second Night Owl. As you know, Watchmen kind of started in the 30s and 40s, and people like Laurie uh, were the second generation of Watchmen. Now, Night Owl and Silk Spectre were a couple who, in the comic book and the film, were the ones to confront Ozymandias about his evil plans to kill millions of people. There's been no hint that Night Owl's going to appear in this season, but that doesn't mean that his presence isn't felt. If you remember the, the kind of spaceship in episode one, that was very much based on Night Owl's original spaceship. Sister Night's amazing night vision goggles, they're also kind of based on owl eyes. And uh, we know that Dan Dryberg's kind of technology was something that Night Owl was famous for. Obviously, Laurie's got her owl in their apartment. And if you remember, I think it was episode two, where one of Angela's daughters dressed up as an owl. And also, if you remember that amazing shot in uh, episode three, the one we're talking about now, uh, where Laurie's head was in front of the Andy Warhol print. Night Owl was one of the uh, faces on there, alongside Silk Spectre, Rorschach and uh, Dr. Manhattan. HBO released quite a lot of additional material on the web if you want to go and check it out. It's really, really helpful, actually. And it kind of gives you a bit of a glimpse as to what happened between Dan and Laurie after events in the comic book or events in the in the previous movie and now what we're watching it turns out that they got both got arrested in 1995 for violating the keen act which is the uh, the act that laurie is now uh, enforcing so they both ended up in jail but it seems that laurie obviously cut a deal with the fbi uh 
The introduction of FBI agent Petey explains what the Peterpedia files are that HBO released online, and it's there that we learn that Dan is indeed still in jail, refusing to talk about anything vigilante-related. There you go, now back to the episode. We then cut back to the phone booth and the beginning of a second joke, involving three heroes dying and arriving at the pearly gates. God asks the first, a hero dressed as an owl, how many people did he kill? The owl boy answers zero, and is told he's too soft before being sent to hell. We cut to Laurie walking into a briefing on the 7th Cavalry and the murder of Judd Crawford. Despite a plan to go into Tulsa mob-handed to bring down the cavalry, Laurie decides she's going to go in alone, eventually being talked into going with just one sidekick, a fresh-faced young man called Agent Petey. In the air, Petey discusses Laurie's history and another ex-boyfriend, a.k.a. Dr. Manhattan. Back to the phone booth, the second hero steps forward in the story, a smart man, possibly the smartest in the world. God asks how many people he's killed. He replies, three million, roughly. God declares him a monster and sends him to hell too. In Tulsa, Laurie interrupts Red Scare and Pirate Jenny roughing up a blindfolded man. She tells them she's seeking a man named Looking Glass and is led into a nearby building. Inside, hordes of blindfolded 7th Cavalry suspects are being interrogated in the especially brilliant pod by Looking Glass himself. Laurie brazenly steps in to speak to him. She asks him to remove his mask as she already knows his identity. They discuss the interrogation so far. Looking Glass reveals that Sister Knight got some information from a suspect, to which Laurie reveals she knows that Sister Knight is Andrew Abar. Back to the phone booth story. Number three hero steps forward and is described as being Dr. Manhattan, or Blue God for the story. Blue God tells God he's already in hell, before being sent there for real. Cut to Tulsa. Laurie and Agent Petey arrive uninvited to the funeral of Judd Crawford. She stops Angela and introduces herself, requesting a meeting over coffee. She leaves a card and asks Angela if she knows how you tell the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante. Angela says no, to which Laurie quips, Me neither. I think that's a joke. A short way away from the funeral, we see a member of the 7th Cavalry walk from a crypt wearing a Rorschach mask and suicide vest. The man shouts at everyone not to move, stating that the bomb is connected to his heart and if it stops beating, everything goes boom. He declares Senator Kane a race traitor and demands he surrender himself or everyone dies. The senator walks forward and allows himself to be taken prisoner and at that moment Laurie opens fire, putting a bullet straight in the man's head. The bomb begins to beep very ominously, and as people scatter, quick-thinking Angela drags the dead man to the open grave and pushes Crawford's coffin on top of him, just as the whole thing goes up in a shower of dirt, splinters, and, well, Judd Crawford. As the smoke settles, Angela casts a steely stare at Laurie. Away from the madness, but firmly in the madhouse, Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias, I'll explain that later, is putting one of his clones into a weird metal suit that ultimately freezes the clone solid, angering Adrian, who declares to another clone that they're going to need a thicker skin. A short time later, Adrian rides a white horse and shoots a buffalo with a longbow. Just another average day, then. As he approaches the felled beast, he's warned off by a gunshot from a masked man upon a horse. Back in his house, a maid informs him a letter's arrived from the game warden. The letter mentions the terms of his captivity, and that if he continues to push the boundaries, he'll face serious consequences. Adrian dictates a letter in response, stating his activities are purely recreational and he would never test the terms of his captivity. It's also here that we get full confirmation that he is indeed Adrian Veidt, not that it was needed. We later see Adrian in full Ozymandias costume, looking especially determined. That's exciting. Following the attack at the funeral, Senator Kane is answering questions from the press. 
Laurie and Petey look on. At the scene of the blast, Laurie watches as Angela emerges from the tunnel that allowed the cavalry member access to the crypt. They sit and talk over coffee. Laurie mentions she found wheelchair tracks at the scene of Crawford's murder, and then states she found a secret compartment in Crawford's closet too, but that it was empty. She asks Angela what was in it and admits she suspects she has taken something from it before dropping in, that she also knows she's sister Knight. Unmoved, and with a bit of sass, Angela pours her coffee down the tunnel and leaves. Back to the phone booth. A fourth person's waiting at the gates, a woman. She tells God she was standing behind the other three all along. God just didn't see her. God asks if he gave her a talent. She replies, no, you didn't, but I'm the little girl who threw the brick in the air, just as the same brick falls and kills God, sending him to hell. Before hanging up, Laurie says she doesn't know why she keeps coming to this phone booth, but that sometimes it's nice to pretend Dr. Manhattan's really listening on the other end. She says, good night, John, that's his real name, and hangs up. As Laurie leaves the booth, a car drops from the sky and crashes before her, Angela's car. Laurie looks up to the stars and laughs as the possibility that Dr. Manhattan is at work washes over her. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about Ozymandias or Adrian Veidt. In the original comic book slash uh, movie, whichever one you want to reference, Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias, was one of the gang of watchmen who actually, spoiler alert, turned out to be the bad guy. He wanted to do a bit of a Thanos and wanted to slaughter millions of people to save the human race. In the comic book, Veidt created something called the Monster, a.k.a. the Giant Squid, which was referenced in the first episode by all those little raining squid. This uh, this giant squid was teleported into the middle of New York City, killing millions and millions of inhabitants. This terrified all the governments around the world who believed that it was an alien from another planet and a sign of a possible invasion from space. So they worked together against the new threat, ending the Cold War and creating world peace. This theory lasted for about seven years before President Redford opened an investigation, uh, which implicated him and secured the president's re-election. Ozymandias then went into hiding. In the film, it wasn't a giant squid, but a load of nuclear reactors. They exploded and Dr. Manhattan was blamed. It did create global peace and end the Cold War because we had a united enemy, which was Dr. Manhattan. So Silk Spectre and Night Owl decided not to grass Ozymandias up. We don't actually learn what happened to Adrian Veidt in the film. So it's anybody's guess what he's doing. Seemingly locked up in that mansion, being dictated to by the game warden. It's becoming kind of clear among the fan forums and certain kind of experts that Ozymandias or Adrian is being held prisoner by Dr. Manhattan somewhere. Some people think that he's on some kind of virtual reality prison on Mars, but there's a good theory that actually he's just on the dark side of the moon. And what he's trying to do is use his clones to escape. We saw him try and fire that trebuchet, which means that it can't be a very big prison either. The theory is that the game warden is some kind of imaginary prison guard. And if you notice, he was waving the Jolly Roger flag. That seems to be dotted around in quite a lot of places, indicating that that could be the boundaries to which Adrian is not allowed to step out of. I'm loving it. I am delighted to welcome back to Previously On, I think possibly our only ever repeat guest. Uh, I last spoke to this lady uh, during the final season of Game of Thrones. She is one of the few people uh, who is as passionate and as nerdy about quality entertainment telly as I am. She works for The Insider, but she's also got a fantastic book called The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones out now. Welcome, Kim Renfro. How are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me, Jamie. My pleasure. Now, last time we spoke, we were kind of wearing black armbands and mourning uh, <laughs> the, the death of dragons and Daenerys and, and, and whatnot, and wondering what on earth was going to fill, uh, uh, fill our lives. And along has come Watchmen. And for me, it's kinda, it, seems to be, it seems to be doing a bit of a job on me. What, what about you? 
Oh, yeah. Watchmen is ticking every box imaginable for me. The only difference is that I am not as familiar with the source material as I was with Game of Thrones. But for me, that's really fun. It's exciting for me to be sort of introduced to a new world um, and through such an amazing, I think, uh, sort of sequel slash adaptation that Lindelof is doing here. And there's there's quite a lot of parallels to draw from because, you know, the fans of, of the Watchmen comic book are hugely passionate, as were uh, the book fans of, of, of George R. R. Martin's uh, Game of Thrones series. But I'm going to I'm going to go on the limb and say compared to compared to Watchmen and some of the mythology and, and who's done what and whatnot, Game of Thrones feels like a bit of a walk in the park in comparison. It's, <laughs> Watch, Watchmen is pretty dense. It's very dense and it's very... Watchmen is constantly like threading all of these different genres, whereas I think at least for Game of Thrones, all you really had to do was sort of get used to the fantasy world and, you know, all the lords and ladies and different families. But once you were once you understood that relationship between all these like political factions um, and learned all, you know, the names of the, the houses and the lords, you are pretty much good to go. Whereas Watchmen, it feels like you have to be well versed in so many different elements of like science fiction and comic book stories and like what was what were Alan Moore and David Gibbons already riffing on and then what is Damon Lindelof now riffing on and yeah, yeah it's it's definitely dense but in a really fun way I and would I, say and I do like the fact that there there's there's little kind of uh, credence or, or kind of freedom or movement given to the viewers uh you know Lindelof's kind of gone in there's not really been much explanation uh in terms of what went before it's picking little bits of snippets up as we go on via by each episode. But I quite like the fact that he's just leaving leaving the audiences. If they want to go and read the comic book, then great. If they want to go and Google uh, uh, who the hell Night Owl is, then fine. But he, <laughs> he's not going to spoon feed it to them. I really like that. Yeah, I'm very impressed with how Damon Lindelof and his writing team have been able to drop you into this world. I'm still able to understand what's going on, even though I'm only I started reading the Watchmen comic a few weeks ago. So I'm like three chapters in three. I don't know how you explain it in the novel, like three editions. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I just did like a couple cursory Wikipedia searches. You know, I watched like one YouTube explainer on kind of the general idea of what happened in the original comic. And I'm totally, I'm right there in it, in this yeah. new show. I, I get it. I'm able to follow it. I'm confused sometimes, but it's like a pleasant confusion. I I trust that Lindelof will explain things when I need to know them, if that makes sense. Well, there's two, there's two things to pick up on there. One is, I don't think, I think even comic book fans would still be confused by it. I think the things that you're confused by are the things that everyone's confused by and we're purposely mm -hmm. meant to be confused by. And then second you got a lot of faith in Damon Lindelof there because, uh, you know, I remember giving him my heart once before and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and found, and found, my, and, and found myself uh, defending him to the hilt uh, through many a passionate conversation about Lost. Are you, are you, are you, uh, are you confident that he's going he's gonna to explain everything? He he's famously doesn't really give a shit about explaining anything. I mean, I think I'm a little more forgiving with what happened with Lost. Oh, no, I love for, Lost. I love For it. me, yeah, for me, for me, my trust in Lindelof comes from The Leftovers. Did you watch that? Oh, yeah, beautiful. On HBO? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is one of my all-time favorite shows. And that was very much, I think, Damon Lindelof took this lesson from Lost, which was there were maybe too many puzzle boxes and too many mysteries that he didn't address in yeah. the end because 
for whatever reason, the writers decided that they didn't need to in that show. For The Leftovers, he came right out of the gate and said, I am not going to give you every answer. Like, you are never going to know exactly what happened. So, Kim, talk to me a little bit about what's the reception been like of uh, for Watchmen in the States? Oh, uh, great question. I'm, I mean, I live mostly on Twitter, so I, I assume... <laughs> we're I assume in our, we're the, in our little media Twitter bubble. Yeah, I try and break out of there when I can. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of, I would say, largely positive. The places where I'm seeing hesitation are uh, conversations around how heavily Damon Lindelof is really establishing this narrative of race and racism and white supremacy in the U.S. specifically. Yeah. Um, Because, like, he came right out the gate in that pilot episode showing us the Tulsa massacre, which is a real thing that happened in the United States that a lot of people here did not know about. I didn't know about it. Um, Well, thank God for that, because I didn't as well. I thought, my God, I'm really stupid. I Googled it. And and lo and behold, wow, that was pretty grim. So it's the same for you guys as well. Phew. Yeah, it it was really suppressed. It wasn't taught in in most like young history classes. It's not a thing that was in school systems here, which is really it's appalling. Um, And Damon Lindelof has said that learning about the Tulsa race riots um, and reading specifically this article by Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, who's a writer who used to write for The Atlantic. uh, Lindelof read an article from him about this idea of reparations in the United States. And in that article, he mentioned the Tulsa race riot and massacre. Um, yeah, sorry. It's not, a, it wasn't a riot. That was a massacre. massacre yeah. Uh, and yeah, he said that he said that he was thinking about what Watchmen was examining in the seventies and eighties. And then, so what would that, what would the equivalent of that be for our time? And he was like, it was undeniably this issue of white supremacy and how that permeates not only our police force and, are just entire institutions. And so I I think that what I'm seeing is a lot of people who are largely very like curious about his choice to do that, especially being a white male showrunner. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sitting here like I'm a white American, so I can only say so much as to like how successful I think he's he's done with this so why, far. Why has it angered people, do you think? Do you think has it angered the black community or the white community or the far right community more, do you think? It's all, all definitely right? I think it's definitely angering the far right community a little bit but it's not it's not that it's angering uh the black community that i can see it's just that it's like people are people are kind of waiting to see how how the story is going to handle this ultimately in the end because right now it's just it's introducing all of these like really heavy concepts and it's doing it in a way that's like a little bit binary like it's very interesting to say that in the at least in that pilot episode to say that white supremacy is on one side of the line and that the police force are on the other side of the line whereas it's much more complicated than that yeah, and then well, i think i think i think that was the whole theme of Laurie throughout this episode three that we've just watched right. which is the you know can you tell the difference between a mass a mass policeman and a vigilante you know i can't that that i think that's where it's kind of heading isn't it yeah he's they're definitely digging into it more and i think that i think it to, for me, it is being handled with a level of nuance that I really respect. But I, again, as someone who's a white American, I'm kind of like sitting back and and just listening to how people are taking it episode by episode. So I'm curious to see once the entire season is done, how people feel ultimately about where that storyline is heading. Like, what is the ultimate point that they're trying to make about this issue that is very 
prevalent in our country. I guess that's the kind of thematic heartbeat that's running throughout the season so far, but there's quite a lot of plot as well to get through. And there's a lot, there's a lot of who are they, where are they going? So I'm going to ask you some, some kind of questions based on episode three, okay? Because you, okay. you may or may not have seen more. Okay. In your opinion, where is Adrian Veidt? Oh, I feel like I can't answer that because I've seen more. Oh. But even, even, my, even my guess is still not certain. Okay. But I... Th- See, my guess, I th- my guess is that he's on, he's on the dark side of the moon. Yeah, my guess was was at the very base level that he is not on Earth, that he's like trapped in some sort of a like simulation of something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And things aren't operating the way that they should <laughs> on the planet that we know. Right. Okay. Fine. Yeah, you can tell that you've you've probably had a few more a few more hours with it than than we have. Um, my other question, like the question that kept coming up in my head, was like, what time is he in? Like, uh, even from. Because they show, like, in the first episode when they introduce him, they're like, oh, it's your anniversary, sir. And then there's was it, was two... It the seventh, was it the seventh anniversary? Did they say seventh? Oh, I can't remember. Did Maybe I imagined that. I thought that they just said anniversary. And then he had one candle in his cake. And okay. then in the next episode, he had two candles. And so I'm like, are there entire years passing between... Between each when, one? Like... Like, are we not seeing him in a timeline that's consistent with when we're seeing the rest of the characters in 2019, right. Tulsa? That's what I'm curious about three episodes ah, in. Okay, interesting. Food for thought. So we've just seen Lady True in the teaser for uh, episode four. She's going to play a big part, right? I mean, you've seen a few more episodes, I'm guessing. So can you can you give us a hint as to what to expect from her? I will say she has a scene, right, because her introduction happens in this upcoming episode, and it is like such a perfect Damon Lindelof-y scene. Like, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And there's, I still have a lot of questions about her. But yes, I will say that her introduction is one of the highlights of the show for me so far, because just because of the way that they back into it is amazing. Oh, brilliant. I very much look forward to seeing that. And who's your, who's your favorite character? Oh, I love Angela, but I also like, I mean, Angela, she's obviously the star of the show. I really, really love her husband, Cal. I think, I think Cal is so interesting to me because I think I've been conditioned when watching shows usually about like a woman who's out there doing something badass or kind of like being the leader or the breadwinner or whatever in her family. I have this predisposition. I, I I think I've been conditioned to expect that her husband like pushes back or somehow tries to like tries to make her not being as as powerful or as strong as she can. Because I think that that's kind of the trope that we tend to see yeah, in these they, stories. They, the guys try and muscle in a bit. Yeah. yeah, or just like or just rein her in a little bit. Or they're always like, "Oh, you're doing something too dangerous. Like, don't go out there. I love you." And I just love that Cal is such this constant presence of support for yeah. her and yeah, just yeah. like he's totally on board with everything that she's doing he gets it he's not ever condescending he's not he he doesn't get upset like you can tell that he's concerned but he's not trying to stop her from doing what she f- clearly feels like she needs to do and i just love i love that dynamic between them and every time that he pops up i'm like oh yeah. nice little moment with cal even, so. even when she shielded her children from from a bomb yeah. by, by using uh, captain judd's body that was you know that was <laughs> that's what mums, yeah. that's what mums are for <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um and you know again 
if apologies if if you if you're having to kind of rein in a little bit in terms of mm-hmm. spoilers and stuff but um i'm guessing the senator we we're going to learn a bit more about him yeah he's a really interesting there are so many interesting side characters it's almost that... too obvious for him to be a bad guy it's almost too obvious yeah 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 i think and again i think that that plays into these uh racial dynamics that they set up from the get-go right because like okay you have this nice like to me he looks he looks and sounds like what we think of as a very typical like southern republican politician and that's not to say that every white man with a southern accent is a republican but like right it's he's he's a very interesting background character right now um that is definitely worth paying attention to. I also really love uh, Looking Glass is another character that I kind of, I enjoyed his, I enjoyed the design of his whole getup and the whole, you know, racism detector machine. It's brilliant. I, I love the pod. The pod is such a cool device. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so, it, it makes for such fantastic visuals that they're really taking advantage of. But he's another, he's another character that I wasn't expecting to care a lot about and i think that you will in the future is oh, all that I'll oh say. good oh i, I hope so because yeah he's he's there's a lot more to him i think and i like the idea i like the dynamic between him and angela as well when they're kind of like shooting the shit together now halloween's just gone in the states which is obviously a big deal over there were there many did you see any watchman watchman masks out there there must be must have been some raw shacks knocking around i did see some i saw i already saw a few uh, sister nights which wow. was pretty cool i'm like that you didn't have that much time to to put that together but i guess it's pretty it's all pretty basic stuff but it's really cool that her her design is already out there leather cloaks are you know a lot of people's kinks kim <laughs> <laughs> i won't i won't knock it won't knock it well it's better better that than a dr manhattan dildo crikey uh listen <laughs> thank you so much kim it's always a pleasure talking to you really appreciate it and uh love to catch up with you again towards the end of the end of the season to see how right either of us were or not oh yeah <laughs> there will be so much more to talk about Brilliant. i would love that uh, thank you kim, how can people how can people find out more about you uh, so you can find my writing on insider.com uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kim R. Renfro and I post all my stuff there, you know, still still on the Game of Thrones train a little bit here, folks, because we got prequels and all that jazz happening oh, yeah. now. Well, we, we will we will join that. We'll join that train again very, very soon. Listen, Kim, <laughs> yeah. for now, thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Previously On Watchmen in association with Sky Atlantic. You can watch Watchmen exclusively on Sky Atlantic every single Monday at 9pm. But don't panic if you've missed it because each episode goes straight up on demand as soon as it's aired. For more information, hop over to sky.com. Thank you very much, Kim. Lovely to have you on. As ever, you are more than welcome anytime you wish. Now, shall we have a listen and hear what episode four has got in store for us? Here we go. Hi. You're Lady True. I sure am. I'm here to offer you legacy. Legacy is in blood. What is that? The first wonder of the new world. What can I do you for? He hid it in his closet. Looks like we have ourselves a reckoning. Are we loaded, Mr. Phillips? Yes. On my mark, Mr. Chance. Three, two, one, away! Phenomenal. 
Okay, so what can we glean from that very short trailer? Well, you may have heard an introduction to someone called Lady True. Lady True is going to be a big part of the series, I think. Uh, she is the trillionaire head of True Industries. They were the company that purchased Adrian Veidt's company off him in 2012, right after he went missing, and has been formally running his estate since 2017. She accepted the FBI's announcement that Veidt is dead, but as we saw in episode three, he is very, very much still alive. She arrives in Tulsa as the police force are preparing for what they're calling a reckoning. A little bit of a tidbit as well. True Industries are also responsible for those blue satellite phone booths, uh, the ones that we saw Laurie Blake using to call Dr. Manhattan. They also built the Millennium Clock that we see in Tulsa. And it's probably worth noting that the richest person in the world owns a mysterious building called the Millennium Clock. That can't be good, right? Bring on episode four. See you next week. Thanks very much for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Don't forget, Watchmen is available exclusively on Sky Atlantic each Monday at 9pm. If you've missed any of the episodes so far, do not panic. Don't panic. They've got it covered. Each episode of Watchmen goes straight up on demand as soon as it finishes airing on the Monday night. So they're all there, all ready for you to get stuck into. For more information about Watchmen or indeed any of the other awesome shows that Sky Atlantic have got going on right now, just head over to sky.com. If you've enjoyed Previously On, do us a favour, give us a cheeky little five-star review, tell all your friends, particularly if there's someone maybe in your household that needs to get up to speed with Watchmen so that you can enjoy it together, maybe this podcast would be quite useful for them. If you're new to Previously On, you might want to go back and check out some of our previous episodes. Uh, We've covered recaps of a hell of a lot of series already. There's every single episode of Game of Thrones. We've done Peaky Blinders, Stranger Things, we've done Big Little Lies, and there's loads more of them to come. If you've got any suggestions, just get in touch we're over on twitter at previous podcast we will see you next time until then you've been listening to previously on in association with sky atlantic a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.